Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. My guest today is Nikki Harris, who, when she turned 40, made a series of posts on Instagram of the 40 things she had learned by the time she turned 40. She started by saying, 40 is my masterpiece. Just that was so compelling that I wanted to talk to her. Today, she'll explain what she meant about her masterpiece and delve into some of the lessons she's learned, including one that she added since turning 40, which is going to blow your mind. It certainly blew mine. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hello. It's nice to finally sit down and have a conversation with you. (laughs) You and I first connected, I think, last fall. I had found you on Instagram while I was doing a search around hashtags around turning 40 and lessons around turning 40. And you had this beautiful series of posts that you posted right around your 40th birthday, which is about a year and a half ago, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. You started by saying that 40 is my masterpiece. Mm. And I loved that. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by 40 being a masterpiece. Oh, that actually choked me up a little bit. (laughs) So it's still true. I love it. It is. And it's amazing because I will be 42 this year. So it's amazing how that masterpiece has grown and even evolved over these last, you know, almost two years. Right. So I think what I meant by it being my masterpiece is that it was a gathering or kind of a coming together of everything that I had learned my whole entire life. And one thing that I always say about women and us really finding ourselves and finding our purpose in life and why we are here and just our power, all of that is your masterpiece. You really designing your life based on what you love, what you want, what you desire, what you've learned. And all of that came to me when I turned 40. It it felt like to me, I was finally putting together my masterpiece. Wow, that's beautiful. You said that 40 was the accumulation of all the things you had been told you couldn't do and the fight you fought to accomplish those things. most definitely. One of the major things about me is that I was born with sickle cell disease. For those who don't know what sickle cell disease is, it's a blood disease that's predominant in the African-American community, and it can definitely lead to death. I was born in the 80s, and in the 80s, they didn't know a lot about sickle cell disease. When I was born, they told my mom I wasn't going to live past six months old. So my mom prepared for that. Although they didn't know my mama was a believer. She took me to a sickle cell clinic one day, and she saw a woman, and the woman was in her 70s. And in my mom's mind, it was if she can make it to her 70s, then my daughter can make it to hers. I've spent a lot of my life because of sickle cell disease of people telling me what I couldn't do or what I wasn't going to be able to do. I wasn't going to be able to have kids. I wasn't going to be able to be successful in my career. I wasn't going to be all of these things that this little girl wanted to do and wanted to have. My whole entire life has been a fight for me to have that, for me to prove that I can have a abundant and flourishing life, no matter what challenges I might be facing. That was clearly a big piece of my masterpiece 
it was me being able to take the limitations that was given to me and make them into my strips. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know uh, a lot about sickle cell. So tell me how it affects someone on a day-to-day basis. Is it something you still are dealing with today? Yes. Is it something that you feel? Yes, it's a lifelong journey. It's no cure for sickle cell. You can treat it. <laughs> you can treat the symptoms mm-hmm. of sickle cell, but there's no cure. This is how I describe it. You have red blood cells and your red blood cells are oval-shaped right? But they're very flexible. They move in, move out. When they are maneuvering themselves through your veins, they can become smaller so they can go through your veins. Mm -hmm. When you are in a sickle cell crisis and anything can bring on a sickle cell crisis, you can get too cold, you can get too hot, you can get too stressed, not eating, not eating well. And sometimes it doesn't take anything. People's bodies are just different. But when you're going through a sickle cell crisis, your red blood cells become rigid. So instead of being flexible, they become very rigid and they turn into a sickle. So imagine something very rigid and turning into a sickle trying to push themselves through your veins. It causes extreme amounts of pain and it can cause your organs to shut down in certain cases. A person with sickle cell deals with pain on a daily basis. The pain has been compared to a woman in labor. It's very excruciating pain when you're going through a sickle cell crisis. So that is sickle cell. It's a lot deeper than that, but that's the way I would sum it up. Okay. So this is a lifelong thing for you. Mm -hmm. Now I understand a little bit more about all the things you've been told you couldn't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was all in the intent of keeping you safe and keeping you balanced. You know, having kids takes a lot on your body, you know, different things like that. So yes, most definitely when you are a woman and you're wanting to have kids and you have sickle cell, that's the first thing they're going to tell you, well, no, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. And that was one thing that I always wanted to do. And I've been blessed to have two beautiful, healthy children. That's also a part of that masterpiece I was talking about. Oh my goodness. Now some of these lessons are a little bit clearer to me. (laughs) Lesson 24 was the pain I've experienced has definitely been what fuels my purpose, but my purpose will not be rooted in pain. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about that. Not just pain of sickle cell, but I've been through a lot of things in my life. You know, I'm, I'm 41, but sometimes I feel like I've had a lifespan of an 80 year old. I've just been through a lot. And that transitioned me into what I do with my career. I am a life coach for women, a healing coach for women. And it's really all about finding your healing. It's teaching women how to go through that healing journey, that healing process, to be able to create their masterpieces and create the lives that are better suited for them instead of living off of the societal rule of what women should be. When I say my pain became my purpose, it was the pain that I have been through in my life. It was fuel to be able to give to other women to teach them how to maneuver through their own pain. Sometimes we can take our pain and it can become something that destroys us from the inside out, right? And I always say that the way you perceive your pain is how you maneuver through it. I perceived my pain as something that was meant to push me forward instead of something that was going to hold me back. 
That's great. And probably such a wonderful example for your clients yes, as well. Most definitely. Because sometimes it is just the mindset, <laughs> just somebody telling you it doesn't have to hold you down. It doesn't. It doesn't. What if you just let it propel you forward? Sometimes we have to sit in the pain for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I tell people that all the time. The only way out of pain is through it. You can't go around it, over it, under it. You have to go through mm -hmm. it sitting in it. You have to be able to feel those feelings, feel everything that is coming at you and process through that. Allow yourself to process through it. And when you do that, then you can find a way. You can find a different perspective on what was this pain here to teach me? What is it here for? That definitely is a skill I have learned. It's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's definitely a skill I think I've learned. Yeah, for sure. It is not it's easy. No, it's definitely not. Yeah. Lesson number five. <laughs> I just loved this one. And I'm so looking forward to your explanation okay. or your interpretation <laughs> of what you meant. You said, I thought I needed a Prince Charming to save me from the evil dragon, but I soon realized that I was the MF dragon. Yes. <laughs> Me too. I did. Oh, I'm so glad you used that one. That was a good one. Yes. Um, Talk to me about being a dragon. Ooh, Stephanie, I am. And it's taken me a long time to be able to sit in that. Because as women, we are taught that we need someone to come and save us. From the time that we are brought into this world, we are given this roadmap that we are incapable. We are incapable of taking care of ourselves. And for us to feel some kind of value, we need to be attached to some type of Prince Charming in whatever way that that is. I had to realize, and, and I'm not going to say I had to realize because I've always known that. I wasn't that typical little girl that dreamed about her wedding. I wasn't that. I think mm -hmm. I shamed myself a long time for not being that girl. I was always very ambitious, always more concerned about my career and the way that I wanted to live my life. You know, I wanted to travel the world and different things like that. I was never really concerned about being someone's wife, being someone's girlfriend. I was never concerned with that. And as I started to grow up, you fall into the script. You fall into the, oh, you need to be married. Oh, you need to have kids. This is this is your role as a woman in society. I fell into that. I had some traumas in my life that led me to start looking for a Prince Charming to save me. And then I went through, uh, I had an awakening. I was married for 10 years, probably eight years into that marriage. I felt completely invisible. I went through a, a complete awakening in my life. It felt like I had built this life for myself that I felt invisible in. I had to figure out where this unhappiness was coming from. I had to figure it out. I started going to therapy. What I realized is a lot of things I had built in my life really wasn't my identity. It was what I was doing to live up to the expectations of what a woman was supposed to do. Once I was able to get out of that and able to see my strength, embody my strength, accept my strength and know that I did not have to be anything but myself. I realized that 
I was the MF dragon and I was okay being that. <laughs> and I, I made some decisions. I got a divorce. I've been divorced for about seven, eight years now, but it was a change I needed to make for me. Tell me how that started showing itself for you. How did you start finding yourself? I know you said you went to therapy and that's great. And that's such a, a hugely important tool for so many people. Mm-hmm. But what did it look like for you when you started noticing? Is that the right word? Noticing? Yes. Tell me. It was kind of like an out-of-body experience. It's kind of like I had two people in me that were battling. It was like the person that I had built myself to be. And then it was like this quiet person inside of me that was questioning every single thing that I did. So if it was something simple as I got in an argument with my mate, this person over here had learned how to deal with that, had learned how to conform herself into being a little quiet, not really speaking up for myself. And then I had this other person on the other side and it was like yelling, speak up for yourself. What are you doing? That's the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. I just started listening and I started questioning myself. Why are you not speaking up? And this wasn't just in my relationship. This was in my career as well. I was becoming this person that I had never been. I was the child who would get the progress reports in school that would say, she's a- I can already know what you're going to say. Go ahead. She's a straight A student, but she talks too much. She's bossy. (laughs) She likes to tell the whole class what to do, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was that kid. And I'm going to be really honest with you. My mother was very strong. And my mother was trying to raise a strong woman- But also she was trying to raise a woman that could exist in a world that wasn't so accepting of a strong woman. It's like she was battling between these two things. Be a strong woman, but also be acceptable. So when I would get these letters from school, my mom would be trying to teach me how to balance it out. When I became older and now I'm in this space of going back to your question of of questioning these things, it was that. It was in my career. I was being quieter. I wasn't being as assertive as I used to be. I wasn't being as engaged as I used to be. It was kind of like I was dimming myself. And I started noticing that. It's like this other piece of me was just questioning every single thing that I did. Instead of me fighting against it, I started listening. I started questioning back, why am I being this way? Why am I doing this? When I started going to counseling, I went into counseling to fix me. I didn't go into counseling to fix my life or anything else that was going on wrong. I went into counseling to fix me because clearly I was the problem. I had to be the problem. What I learned in counseling was I wasn't the problem. (laughs) I wasn't the problem. The way that I was maybe perceiving things or had been knocked down through life and through society was what the problem was. I had to learn how to build myself back up from there. And what was your career at the time? So I have been in HR for over 20, 26 years now. So I was in HR at the time. Yeah. 
So this brings you to your mid thirties, it sounds yes. like when you were leaving a marriage and you were uncovering yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell me what the next couple of years were like as you stepped into this new person and headed towards 40. Figuring it out, a whole lot of crying, a whole lot of questioning, a whole lot of reflecting. It was me putting my knuckles to the pavement and figuring it out. Because the way that I looked at it was... I do not want to live my life the way I've been living my life for the past 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. So that journey was hard. That journey was hard. I cried a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I cried a lot. I tell people sometimes when you're going through your healing journey, you either go through it and you find the person that you lost or you go through it and you create a whole different person. I was doing both. (laughs) I was doing both. I was finding the person that I lost to create the person that I wanted to be for my future. I was doing a lot of reading. I was doing a lot of just really digging. What I would say is putting my puzzle pieces together. I was identifying the traumas that I had been through and how those traumas had affected the way that I existed in the world. I was identifying the triggers that I had. I was identifying just a lot of things about me that I needed to really hone in on to find out who I was. I had lost a lot of who I was. And when you're doing that, when you're going through that process of investigation and rebuilding, to to somebody who may be on the edge of their own sort of questioning, Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Is that something you're doing by yourself? I know you've got counseling as sort of one pathway that you're probably working through, mm-hmm. but it's so much bigger than that. How are you pulling yourself through that process? Are there tools? Are there workbooks? What what kind of things were you doing to really dig down that hard work? I was using it all. Anything that was available to me, to be honest. Um, okay. I might be quoting this wrong, but... One thing that I specifically remember is I love the book and the movie Eat, Pray, Love. Loved it. And it was one of the quotes that she said about using the world as your teacher. And that was really what the journey looked like. Because your healing journey, it's, it's not a solo process. Some of it is solo, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, because you learn so much about just interacting in the world. Because if you don't interact in the world, you don't know how you interact in the world right? So Mm -hmm. I'm using the world as my teacher, whether that is getting out there and starting to date again. That was a teacher within itself because now I'm learning what I like, what I don't like. Who am I as this new person that's getting out here dating? I'm learning it as a parent. I'm becoming a different kind of parent. I'm becoming a parent that goes from how she was taught to be a parent to now How does she want to exist as a parent? I'm going from my work life to how was I existing before? And was that really helping me get to where I wanted to be in my career? What do I need to change about me so that I can get the abundance and the success that I'm looking for? What does success look like for me? What does happiness look like for me? What does joy look like for me? 
I was using the world as my teacher along this journey because no, I couldn't do it by myself. I had a great support system. I have great friends and they were walking with me through this journey. So if I could, you know, sum that up, I would definitely say I used the world just as my teacher. It was a lot of reading, workbooks, journaling, uh, watching, you know, watching, what was it? I cannot remember the name of it. Oprah used to have it every Sunday. Oh, Super Soul Super Sunday. Soul. Oh, I have a notebook full of notes <laughs> on Super Soul Sunday. Mm -hmm. It was just a lot of digging. It was a lot of digging and just uncovering some things that I did not even know about myself. Mm -hmm. I would say that's what the journey looked like for me. And it's totally yeah. different for every, everybody, but that's what it looked like. Of course. Yeah. The thing that is to me sort of most important when going through that process is awareness. Yes. Is noticing things that had been just routine or rote previously, Absolutely. whether it's your own reactions, whether it's the people who are around you, how they treat you or the things they say mm -hmm. to you. So when you're using the world as your teacher, yep. It's such a simple statement, but the truth of it is that you have to wake up yes, so that you can notice the things that the world can teach Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I call it the triple A battery. It's okay. awareness, accountability, and acceptance. That's the three stages of it for me. I had to become, like you stated, I had to become aware of what was going on. First of all, how did I get here? What got me here? why I was here, the self-awareness is putting those pieces together. Then it's accountability. You have to take accountability for your part in this journey you're taking. No one dragged you through it. You made the decisions to go through this journey. So take accountability for that. And finally, you get to this place of just accepting who you are, flaws and all. Just accepting, this is my past. This is my present, and this is where I'm going to go in the future. And that's how I looked at it. I call it the AAA battery. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to accountability and being accountable for your part in it, that can also mean bad decisions yes. that you made. Yes. But also giving yourself grace is the word I, I have in my, my head. My favorite word. Right? <laughs> sure, you made some bad decisions, but... Maybe those were the best decisions you could make at the time, or maybe those were the decisions that the you, who you were at that time, felt were the right decisions. It can look so different from a different point of view. It's also forgiving yourself, right? Mm. Forgiving yourself and starting to trust yourself. Because when we make bad decisions, we stop trusting ourselves. We feel like I put myself in this position. So therefore, I cannot trust myself moving forward. Yeah, I must be bad I must be or bad. bad at making decisions. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that forgiveness is about you saying to yourself, I made the best decision based off what I knew at that time. Now, when you know better, you do better. And you keep moving forward. But that's absolutely right. But I find that a lot of people get stuck at the accountability phase. They get stuck really? there because of how we perceive it. Like you said, we perceive it like I did something bad. 
So how can I trust myself moving forward? Or what does that say about me that I would make decisions like that? You start to judge ourselves and you can't do that. You can go through a phase of doing it, but you have to get out of it because that is going to keep you stalled. Right. You're going to get stuck. Yes. If you're not going to make it any further down the no. path if you cannot get by that. Yes. I like that you just said, go ahead and judge yourself, but get beyond get it. Get beyond right? it because it's human. Sit- when you're going through this healing and this process of figuring yourself out, we do a lot of judgment of ourselves and it's okay to do that. That's a part of who we are as humans. That's a, a natural human emotion or action or behavior, but get past it. Because if you don't get past it, you're, you're just going to get stuck there. Hi, I'm butting in here to say, if this episode is making you think of a certain friend or family member, I would be grateful. And they might be too, if you'd share it with them. On iPhones, the share button is an arrow pointing out of a square. And on Android phones, it looks like a less than sign with a circle at each point. Just tap that icon and you can send this episode across the country or around the world. All right, back to Nikki, who tells me about how her business was born and what happiness feels like now compared to what it felt like when she was following somebody else's script. So I'm curious, you said, I think about 10 years ago, you started a coaching practice and you called yourself a healing coach. Yes. yes. Tell me how that was born. <laughs> From that pain that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it went through a transition because it started out as me being a life coach. I went in, I received my bachelor's in psychology, and then I got my master's in counseling psychology. During my internship, I just kind of had a awakening one day. Most of the clients that I had during my internship were women. What I identified was that it was a lot of women that were coming in for either current or past trauma that they had been through. Whether that trauma was physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, it was trauma. And them just wanting to feel better feel better. That was it. And so from there, I'm like, okay, I'm going through my own trauma and dealing with my own healing. All of these other women are going through their trauma and dealing with their own healing. How can I be somewhat of a guide or somewhat of assistance through this at all? How can I help? That is where my business came from. It came from me realizing that As women, we don't have that support out there when it comes to healing that we need. A lot of people don't even understand the trauma that women go through just on a daily basis, you know, and give me, for example, what kind of trauma are you talking about? Whether that is being in a world that's consistently sexualizing you from a very young age, that's probably the the most significant one, whether that is people not teaching you that you are important. They're teaching you that your job is to nurture. Your job is to take care of others. We are not taught that we need to be taken care of. I think the first time I heard self-care when it pertained to women was probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation with a bunch of old, older women that were more in their like 60s and 70s. And they were like, oh, you can't do that self-care thing when you have kids. And I remember thinking to myself, that's probably when you need to do it the most. (laughs) 
But it's just that limitation that's been put on us as women that we can't take care of ourselves. So therefore, we don't. We don't take into consideration the things that we want, the things that we need, the things that we require, because we have been taught that our job is to take care of everybody else. And we don't even think that that's a trauma, but that's a trauma because that affects the way that we exist in the world. If we were never taught that it's okay to take care of ourselves, and then we acquire a husband, children, even the people around us, our friends, we put ourselves in a state that our job is to take care of them. So then we can't speak up for ourselves. We don't require anything for ourselves. And then we become depleted and we have no idea why. That's a form of trauma. That's a form of how you exist in the world. That is a lot of what I was seeing. Mental trauma, emotional trauma, emotional abuse that we have to go through. Being told that we're not pretty enough, that we're not the size that we're supposed to be. When we want to be working mothers, why do you want to do that? You need to be home with your kids. We get shamed for so many things. All of that is trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all trauma. And and we don't like to think that it is, but it is. Right, because we want to think that we're strong enough and tough enough to just... Because, um, because how dare you not be Stephanie? How dare you not be strong right. enough to be able to do that? That's another thing we get shamed for. How dare you not be okay carrying the whole world on your shoulders? How dare you be too tired or too depleted to do all of that? How dare you? Mm. And I wanted to normalize that for women, to, to normalize that our daily lives can be traumatizing. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to live in that, accept that. And it's okay to require more for your life. There's nothing wrong with that. And so that's that's where the business came from. The women that you're working with, is there a, a consistency in the age of women who come to you? Or is it sort of across the board? Mainly my clientele ranges probably between the age of late 20s to probably late 50s. I get the late 20s. As my best friend would say to me, I'm an overachiever (laughs) because my awakening came a lot earlier than a lot of other people's did. But I, I have a lot of women nowadays that are coming to me a lot earlier because I think the world has become more awakened to what women go through. And women are trying to create their lives in a much healthier, balanced way. So those women that are in their late 20s and they're like, okay, I'm noticing some things that I might need help with. I think we're okay now asking for help or we're making it a little easier to ask for help. Yeah, it never would have struck me in my late 20s to, I I wouldn't have even had the language to talk about any of that. I think you're right. I think it's something that next generation, they are aware of the world and and their place in it maybe more so than we were or in a different way than we were. And so they are creating their own realities a little bit more thoughtfully than previous generations may have. They are definitely demanding more. They are demanding more for their lives. When I see that, I'm so proud of that because, like I stated, we've just been in in a world that they really have shamed us for wanting more or asking for more. It's been, how dare you ask for more? (laughs) I'm very proud to see that our younger generation is is doing something different. Yeah. Tell me about the women in their late 30s who you're working with. Ooh, 
I think the majority of the women in my late 30s have been the women that have gotten married in their early 20s and divorced in their late 30s. <laughs> it's been kind of the same transition of them living that same script, doing what society wanted them to do, and then kind of realizing, I'm not sure if this is what I wanted for my life. Right. My life can be better than what I have originally thought it could be. It's a lot of women that even if they haven't thought like that, even if it's been a traumatic experience of having to endure infidelity or having to endure a separation with the partner and you built these ideas and of what you thought your life was going to look like. And then somehow your life didn't turn out like that. And you're having to deal with the grief of that. Whether it's I've lost a parent or I've lost a child. That's the road to that healing that people are looking for. Because I hate to say it, by the time we're in our 30s, we've dealt with a great deal of trauma. We've mm -hmm. dealt with some harsh things that have happened in our lives. And women are getting to the point that they're tired of being told to push it down, push it down, push it down. They're now starting to deal with it, recognize it, and just embrace it and go through the process of learning how to heal and understanding that healing doesn't mean that it magically goes away. Healing is just about coping. That's what healing is, is coping with it. And through that coping, every day gets a little bit easier for you, right? Yeah. yeah. All of this sounds so heavy and hard and just like so much work. <laughs> Talk to me about what it feels like on the other side of it. It's rewarding on the other side. I've always been one of those people that people gravitate towards. My kids would always say when we go to the store, oh, we can't go anywhere without people coming to you and talking to you. <laughs> and it's just strangers. Right? I love interacting with people. I love getting to know people. I love getting to know their stories. I'm not a small talk person. I'm one of those people who I want to know your deep, darkest secrets. I do. I want to know that. I want to know you. When I have these interactions and when I'm interacting with my clients and whether that's on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I have a, a Facebook group that I'm always interacting in. I do conferences and all of that. It's rewarding on the other side. It's heavy, but it's rewarding because for me, I'm thinking about what did I lift off of that person that day? What did I help them get off of them? If I took one boulder off of their shoulders that day, that is me living in my purpose. It goes into the filling your cup analogy. If you have a full pitcher, you, you're walking around with your full pitcher and Everyone in your life has a cup. You're filling everyone's cup. By the end of you filling everyone's cup, your pitcher is empty. But what is filling your pitcher back up? What's filling my pitcher back up is that although I'm putting into everyone's cup, me being able to remove that boulder off of them, me being able to see them smile, me being able to see a little bit of relief come off of them, or them say, Thank you for just talking to me today. I feel so much lighter. That feels back up my picture. And then I can keep doing it again and again and again. 
because I'm not only giving to it, it's giving back to me. That's what it feels like for me on the other side of that. That's beautiful. Tell me about happiness on both sides. Mm. So when you were in your marriage or when you were younger, I'm sure there were happy days. And then now that you are fully embodying yourself Mm -hmm. today, there are happy days. Mm -hmm. How would you weigh them or compare them to each other? Great question, Stephanie. That's a really good question. And a pretty easy question too. The happiness that I have now is based in me being 100% myself and 100% authentic with anything that I need and anything that I want. I think the happiness back then was really based in everybody else. It was based in me being that martyr, me being that person that was always making sure that everybody else around me was happy. I thought that was giving back to me. I thought that that was in turn making me happy, but it wasn't because at the end, I just felt invisible. The difference in this happiness is that I've really, I really understand what makes me happy. I really understand it now. And I'm not afraid to ask for the things that make me happy. I'm not afraid to demand the things that make me happy. <laughs> and I don't settle for anything less than that. Because life is just way too short to accept anything less than that. And then also the realization that happiness does not mean perfection. Happiness is authenticity. And I think back then, my happiness was about things being perfect. And now it's about things being authentic and honest and true. That's the difference. That's quite the difference. Yes. You said you know what makes you happy now. Tell me two things that make you happy. Two things that make me happy. Hearing my children laugh. Hearing them absolutely laugh. And the peace that I have acquired in my life of when I come home and I shut the world out, that I have created a sanctuary. And that is my happiness. That is what I've worked so hard to acquire. And I've gotten so far along that journey. That's two things that make me happy. I love it. I love that you've created a sanctuary. (laughs) That's a great word. And it's so evocative. Anybody who hears that word probably has a different visual in their head of what it looks like. But we all know what it means and what it feels like in that space. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your coaching practice. How do you work with women? Are you available to work with people? Yes. So my coaching practice, I have a website, lifecoachnikki.com. You can schedule appointments with me online. I also have a Facebook group, Healing With My Homegirls. It's very easy to find. And we talk about all things healing. It's an open forum. We have discussions all the time about different things, hot topics. I give you different mantras every Monday to help you throughout your week. And on top of that, I do offer one-on-one sessions where you can do a one-off. If it's just like, hey, I just kind of want to pop in. I'm kind of going through something. I want to talk it through with somebody. And I call that the homegirl hour. You can kind of pop in hour and 30 minutes. We just talk about what's going on in your life. If you need some guidance from me, then we go through that process. 
Or if it's something that you feel like I need some deep healing, I want to dig a little bit, I want to start understanding my traumas and my triggers, then I have a package and it's called the Healing Homegirl Package. And that's a three-month package. We have a session every week. I put in some rant sessions because sometimes you just need to rant a little bit. You don't really need mm -hmm. advice. You just want to talk some stuff out. You just want to yell and scream yep. a little bit. So I yep. put that in there. I, I provide homework. Journaling is very big for me because that's something that helps us process through our emotions. That's how I pretty much cater my practice and how um, we do things. I also have conferences. I have a, I call it the healing circle. And that's a virtual support group where we get together and you understand that you're not alone on this process. Because I always like to create that. That's another thing as women that we don't have is that support, that empowerment to be able to just sit around and, and be okay just ranting about our lives and what's going on and can somebody please help me? Right. <laughs> so I have a lot of different avenues and a lot of different programs that women can pop in to get the healing that they need. And it sounds like they're mostly virtual. Yes. So you, no location requirement. No location requirement. So the healing right. circle, I was doing that out at a park. Oh, very nice. But I'm in Georgia. And so Georgia heat is not so nice right now. <laughs> Because of that, it's a virtual, which works for everybody. And then once it starts to cool off a little more, we have to go outside because I love being outside. <laughs> I think it's a great place for healing. For sure. Yes. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been spectacular. Mm -hmm. I, I love your lessons. I have loved the way you've brought them to life and explained how you went through them. I, I just so love that you took that experience and are now using it to help people come along with you. Thank you so much. It has been a rewarding experience. I'm so glad you found me, Stephanie. <laughs> me too. Now I have to go back and read all my lessons that I put. <laughs> Yeah, there's some doozies in there. You have to go back and review them. Now that it's been a couple of years, yeah. I would be curious what you thought of the lessons and or, like you said earlier, what else have you added to the pile? Mm -hmm. I was thinking the other day, I've added quite a few to the pile. Give me one. What have you added in the last year and a half? Understanding that, I don't know if you heard this, but you know, when you was in your 20s, you had a, women that were in their 40s and they told you, you know, when you turn 40, you stop caring and you become just more empowered. And so a lot of us was looking forward to that, right? And what I realized is that it doesn't really come from empowerment. It really comes from exhaustion. It really does. Mm -hmm. It comes from you being really tired of having to fight the world. That's where it comes from. And from there, you do gain a different type of strength. But the root of that strength is that you're exhausted. Wow. <laughs> Mind blown. I've never heard it said like that. That's going to yeah. sit in my head for a while. But even immediately, I could see, sure. Yeah. Because you're, you're sure. tired of having to fight for your place. You're tired of having to show that you're competent, that you are strong. It's every area of your life. And then because of that exhaustion, you're like, you know what? I know who I am. I know what I need. I know what I stand for. I am no longer going to fight about it. And the visual I have in my head of this theme from you is somebody who's carrying so many 
bags and boxes and boulders and you just get to a point where you can't carry them anymore. They're just too heavy. And so in my head, visually, it's like dropping them all out of exhaustion and then realizing that, well, maybe I don't have to pick them back there up. Exactly, Stephanie. That's perfect. That's perfect. That everything that I'm carrying on me, is it worth it? Is it even worth it? And when you drop them, you realize that it wasn't. You realize that it wasn't. So. We'll talk about going out with a band <laughs> later. <laughs> I'm not sure I've had an interview end like that before, but... A boom at the end. <laughs> it's very on brand for Miss Nikki yes, Harris. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed meeting Nikki Harris as much as I did. Do you know someone who's got a great 40 story? Someone who experienced a midlife transition in their family, professional, or personal life? Or someone who celebrated turning 40 in an epic, profound, or really personal way? Go to 40drinks.com guest to recommend someone who should join me on the podcast. Next week, I'm talking to my friend Ann Plusenak, a Midwestern gal who I met 10 or so years ago while hanging upside down here in New Hampshire. Anne had a couple tough years leading up to 40 that included a major loss and a huge move and felt like she was finally peeking out again when she turned 40. I hope you'll join me for this one. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. <laughs>